Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. Gospel according to Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 45. This is at the conclusion of the story of the miracle of feeding of the multitude. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning, walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves that their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a mad, 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 mad world. It's also one of my favorite movies that I used to watch with my family growing up. It is an outlandish comedy that premiered in 1963. And the events of what happens in the movie all happened on one day. It begins with a chase scene and five witnesses that come upon a deadly car crash. But before the car driver can kick the bucket, he tells the strangers gathered together that there's over a half a million dollars buried beneath a big W in Santa Rosita State Park. Now, what ensues next is just madness. There's alliances and deceit and car crashes and car chases. There's a delinquent son and marital strife. There's a hair-raising airplane scene. A scene that involves a little girl's bicycle and a couple locked in a hardware store's basement. There's a police captain subplot. There's buried treasure, slapstick comedy, and a car that floats down a river. There's the culminating scene in a deserted building, a fire truck's ladder figures prominently, and a banana peel. Oh, and then there's Ethel Merman. (laughs) And all of it happened on one very long day and proves what we already know, that it's a mad, 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 mad world. Jesus Jesus had had a long, long day. (laughs) Preaching all day to thousands of people without a microphone and feeding them before they riot. And if you don't think that's a tough day, then you should try event planning on a shoestring budget. Jesus has has had a hard time. And as we're going to learn in the next couple of weeks, what happens even before this made for a very hard stretch for Jesus, even for the Son of God. Jesus was understandably tired at day's end. His energy was depleted and dried up. So because of that, 
The scripture tells us that Jesus decides to send his disciples and followers on ahead of him while he dismisses the crowd. He chooses solitude so that he could pray. He knew intuitively and practically that the crowds and the challenges that he faced, that they sabotaged his prayers. Jesus knew this and he retreated. This is what Jesus did to be more fully in God's presence. So if you look at this story, we can find ourselves coming up alongside Jesus, perhaps with a sense of empathy, or maybe rather that Jesus empathizes with our hard days, our hard weeks, our long stretches. And it, that in seeing what Jesus did in response to that, it might actually help us to know what the way of peace is. Because, of course, here at First Baptist this year, we've been talking about what it looks like to walk in the way of peace. And Jesus tells us right here what he did to find peace. And that is to send his disciples on ahead, to dismiss the crowds, and to go up on the mountain where he could pray. Spending time with God, allowing God his father to see him, just like in that exhibit that we referenced earlier, the artist is present by Marina Abrahamov. This story makes me wonder about what we're doing to be in God's presence. This question occupies a great chunk of my mind and my heart. Traditionally, we would think that the way in which we enter into God's presence is to come here. It's to gather and to attend a worship event that for many of us, we don't know anything other than for what we do on Sunday mornings. It does raise the question if what we do is out of a sense of wanting to be in God's presence or simply because it's just what we've always known. And what we always do, it's Sunday morning. We gather in a place set aside to have these rhythms. But the pandemic and these months, it's made me revisit this idea of worship and what it looks like to be in God's presence. Because if Jesus needs to go up on the mountain to be in God's presence, and that that is restorative to him, then it, it raises the question for me about what we're choosing to do with the time that we've been given to both be seen by God and then to look more like Jesus. So I wonder if what we do on Sunday mornings effectively invites people to be like Jesus and to spend time with God. I genuinely wonder sometimes. I wonder if worship is truly something that we watch. Is it worship if you watch it remotely? Or for that matter, is it worship if you watch it in our sanctuary? If so, then worship becomes something that you consume 
And if so, our attention and energy as a church then becomes about creating a better product. Think about the correlation. Does worship become more worshipful if the different elements are better elements in their quality or in their effectiveness or in their screen worthiness? (laughs) This way of leading in worship is surreal. For intuitively and internally, I'm thinking about the moments of silence that we're trying to create and those that were not, and how it plays on your device. (laughs) Because, of course, we don't like silence and solitude, and we certainly are not going to like it if it happens on our screen. I know it feels existential, doesn't it? But it raises the question, doesn't it? (laughs) What is worship? Are we up on the mountain when we gather inside this space? Or is worship something that is an event that should correlate to our own personal preferences and desires? I'd like to think that worship is a time where it's about God and not about ourselves or our own predilections and our own preferences. I'd like to think about worship as as an opportunity to provide an offering to God, an offering of our attention, an offering of our attention together, of practicing solidarity in community. I know it sounds strange, but I do think that there's something very powerful in being seen by a God who wants to see us and to do so in quiet solitude together. Jesus withdraws to pray in solitude and silence. (laughs) Wow, that would bomb if that's what we did in worship. But consider that in that moment where Jesus withdraws and spends time in prayer with the Father, that in doing that, Jesus didn't read the latest bestseller and call it time spent with God. That in doing that, Jesus didn't go to a concert and call it an offering of worship. That Jesus didn't watch a PowerPoint presentation and call it prayerful silence, or at least not to our knowledge. Jesus seeks solitude on a mountain to pray. And when he does, Jesus is able to see the needs of others and has the energy to go and to help them. That's that's the lesson today. That Jesus, in his practice of solitude and prayerful silence, it enabled him to see needs and to have the energy to go and to help meet them. We look at the scripture, and it tells us that immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to a community called Bethsaida. Arguably, when you pull out a map and you look at it, Bethsaida was probably not very far away, and that figures prominently in a moment. So when he does so, he dismisses the crowd. And after saying farewell to them, he goes up on the mountain to pray. He recognizes, Jesus knows he needs time apart. He recognizes that he needs silence 
and solitude and prayer. The story tells us that when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And when he saw that they were straining on the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning walking on the sea. Let's play with geography just for a moment. We're led to believe that Jesus is up on a mountain there at the side of the water. If we're not careful, we're going to ascribe to Jesus some superhero divine powers of being able to see what we're not able to see. It's helpful to remember, however, what the Sea of Galilee is. I'm in no way trying to diminish its significance as a body of water and in the Middle East, but it's a lake. And from one side of the lake to another, it's only 40 miles across. Have you got that in your mind? It's only 40 miles. Except I'm lying to you. It's not 40 miles across. The Sea of Galilee at its widest is four miles across. It's from here to Ochre Hill. It's from here to Webster. The reason I mention this is because it helps us to see what Jesus sees it's completely understandable that Jesus on the mountain next to this body of water would be able to see the need that was right in front of him. By the moonlight, he would have been able to see the people, his disciples, in a boat, probably not more than about a mile away. I think when we look at this story, if we're not careful, we're just going to feel as though what Jesus does is just miraculous in his ability to see people but he was right there although he was apart he was able to be in solitude but also connected and to be able to see the needs and the story tells us that that up there on the mountain in prayer with God he was able to see at night that his disciples were straining They'd been out on the water for some time, and they'd not been, they had not made good time. <laughs> they were having a difficult go of it. The wind was in their face, and they were having a difficult time rowing. And when he sees them, when he sees their needs, he goes toward them in the morning, walking on the sea. Now, the next statement is curious. The story tells us that he intended to pass them by. Y'all, it's, it's an eyewitness's account. It's what it looked like. We're not entirely sure what Jesus was doing, except to say, in my opinion, that Jesus was just being Jesus. He was going where he had sent his disciples. I like that. Jesus was simply being himself. He was going ahead of them, and in doing so, he was going to encounter those he had sent out. He sees their need in the midst of it. And in doing so, we have this image of a God who goes 
before us. That, that is seen. It's revelatory, y'all. It's, it's this idea of, of a God that goes and passes in front of us. You see that with Moses. You see that with Elijah. This is a moment that seems very consistent with the experience of God by God's people. That, that God appears and reveals God's self to us and it astounds and astonishes us. And what does Jesus do when he sees, when he is seen by them? He immediately speaks to them and says, take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. And he gets into the boat with them and the wind ceases. What is it that Jesus does? He reassures he reassures with a statement and with his presence. He chooses to get into their boat and the journey immediately approves. Worship should be our time up on the mountain. Worship is an opportunity, I believe, to practice solitude while doing so in community. We set aside time for quiet listening and prayer each week so that our lives can have the same ebb and flow of Jesus' life. So that in this way, worship isn't an event that stimulates or entertains us, but is rather a time where we can step away from the world like Jesus did and be more fully present with God just like Jesus did. Because ultimately, at its best, worship helps us to see needs more clearly. And that solitude affects our vision and makes space for empathy and changes our priorities. Ironically, solitude moves the focus away from ourselves and onto those around us, those that may just be right there on the water, straining, right there in the cubicle next to you at work, right there on the other aisle, right there on the other side of the road in your neighborhood. Worship is what happens up on the mountain. Recreating that experience is what we should call our worship experience. And at its simplest requires you, a sense of quiet and the presence of God. Worship time dedicated to God, opens our eyes and directs us to be like Jesus back down in the valley. So I want to ask you two questions as our time concludes. You'll see them there on our worship bulletin. Two questions. Who do you see right now? If we are imitating Jesus by having some moments of quiet solitude away from our devices, away from our to-do list, away from our work, away from home, set apart, protected, up on the mountain like Jesus, then who is God opening your eyes to right now? And then... What can you do to help them? We've left space in the bulletin for you to sit with those two questions and to consider reflecting upon them.
If you're wondering if you've worshipped today, if you're wondering if you've spent time with God up on the mountain, then simply ask yourself if you're able to see people who are in need. That's the fruit of worship with God. It's being able to see better. It's in having the energy to go to them. If you've spent time with God, you'll be able to see people. You'll have the energy to go to them. You'll have the energy for what needs to be done down in the valley or in the case of Jesus out on the water. It's a mad, 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 mad world. So get up on the mountain. It will do us all a world of good. Let's be like Jesus and pray for a moment. God, we're grateful for time apart so that we can more fully be seen by you. And in being seen by you, we're transformed by the fact that you think it worthwhile to see us and to love us. And we pray, God, that we're changed by your gaze, by your love. But God, we confess that you've been looking upon us all our lives and that we frequently fail to allow ourselves to be seen, that we're not like Jesus, that we don't retreat up on the mountain to have time with you so that our eyes can be opened and we can be renewed. No, instead, God, when we're exhausted, we just double down. We just work harder. We work more. And so we're exhausted and we spiral and we're sorry for not being more like Jesus. So God, help us to break that cycle, even this very moment, so that in these next few moments of, of quiet solitude, that we're able to sit with these two questions, that we might dare to answer them, and that in just a few moments as we leave this sanctuary, we might feel the assurance that we have worshiped you. Hear us now in these moments of silence as we think, reflect, and pray.